the last two weeks, Pastor Aaron has been inviting us to rethink how we look at what a missionary is. And he's invited us to consider that if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, therefore we are missionaries. And our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. He even had us raise hands to, to see if we thought we had figured out where our particular mission field was. And about half of us, it seemed in this room, raised our hands, and half of us did not. And so he invited us to prayerfully, the rest of this month, to be thinking about, praying about, discerning where our mission field might be. And he let us know that for some of us, that's a lifelong process, and it changes as, as we go through life. He even took time to read the 12 mission fields that we as a church identified when we went through the fruitful congregation journey process and we identified 12 places where we felt we had resources and we had gifts that we've brought to bear. We've established some relationships already in those places. And so it's a great place for us to focus and concentrate on in the future. But we also know that there may be other places. You uh, may have this card in your worship folder. Hopefully you do. We decided this past week we'd take the time to encourage you to declare where you think your mission field might be. And you'll notice that there is an other spot, which means that your mission field may not be one of those 12, and that is fine. But we hope that you'll fill it out because some things might happen with that. One is that we might help connect you with other people who might share that mission field that's something like yours. Or if nothing else, you might want to pray together, or you may even want to work together. I, I know one person told me that one of their missions is to try to connect physically with the neighbors that are surrounding them, to take seriously when Jesus called us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we hope that you'll think about that. We'll be sharing these the next two weeks in addition to the day and put in the offering plate. And please know that you're not signing up for anything. All we're going to do with this information is create a, a mission a, a field called the mission field in our database. And whenever something comes along that might be something in your area, we'll let you know, and it's up to you to decide if you want to participate in that or not. Personally, I've felt God calling me towards that mission of White River Elementary. And as I've thought that through, it makes a lot of sense for me. I've got three daughters who are in education. I know if I wasn't a pastor, I'd probably be a teacher and a coach. So my heart's drawn in that area. And so I'll be probably volunteering to be part of that effort to get more people in the classroom this coming school year. So perfectly consider what that might be for you. Now what I want to do today is to try to define a little more carefully by looking at this passage that Pastor Dick just read and, and see more clearly what is a missionary and what is the attitude that we should take into our particular mission field. And most of us, when we hear the Great Commission, we usually start at verse 19, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples in the name of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. But the best translations, if you look at this carefully in the verb tenses and so forth, that verse 19 should begin with the word, therefore, go and make disciples. And that means when you start a sentence with therefore, there's got to be something that predicates that therefore. And so you got to go back one verse to verse 18, which says, Jesus came near and spoke to them. 
I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. That is what predicates the therefore. And when you think that through, it made me think about the power that's intended in that. All power in heaven. Because of Jesus' resurrection, he's been given that power. And he's been given the authority to spread that on earth. And as we join with Christ and abide with him and authentically live into that life, then we will that same power. I wonder if we take that power seriously. You know, sometimes we get caught up in the mundane business of the church. And I've experienced that sometimes in a couple of churches I've served, also churches that I've gone and consulted with. I've heard them sometimes get in survival mode. And you go in to help them take a look at their church, and they'll say things like, we've got to get some young people in here quick. We'll be closing the doors. Boy, if we don't get, get more people giving better, we're not going to have enough money to pay the bills and, and heat the church. Or something like, you know, I've been teaching that Sunday school class for 10 years, and I'm getting tired. And, and I listen to those things, and I, I wonder, do they realize how that sounds to a new person that comes into the church on a given Sunday? A person who's often come there because they've moved new to the community and they're looking for friends to see if this could be their spiritual home, or they've got that young child starting to ask those questions about God that they can't answer and they want help with understanding that, or they've got a troubled teenager and they need help sorting that through, and they come to church the first time and you look at them like they're fresh meat, and, and, you, and you hope that they'll open that wallet up when the offering plate's passed? Is that the good news that Christ is talking about? Is that the power that Jesus is describing? That's all the power in heaven and on earth? My daughter helped me get in touch with that a little bit this week. She told me she was refinishing the rocking chair that my mother, her grandmother, that she had inherited when she passed away. And she had been using that in her classroom this past year. It was kind of the reading center. And she had repainted it. It looked nice and cute. Well, now she's moving to a new school, moving into the middle school, and so she thought she needed to update the look a little bit, make it look just a little more sophisticated. She's still in language arts, so she thinks that rocking chair could still be helpful. And so when she was describing that to me, she wanted to be reminded once again about the history of that rocking chair. And, and so I shared a little bit about that, which is kind of interesting, and it's a whole story all to itself. But it got us talking about my mother's ability and inability to sometimes nurture us as children when we were growing up. And so as I was mentioning some of that, she said, you know, Dad, it, it, it just blows my mind when I hear you talk about that history. It sounds so much like some of the children that, that I've taught, and she's taught a very economically challenged area of Evansville the past two years. And she says, and you talk about that and how you had to defend for yourself so much, and I see my kids doing that, and yet you seem pretty normal. And it was a chance for me to share the good news and said, you know, I think that's only by the grace of God. Because I look back and I see that God filled my life with adults at the right time in the right place that filled in some of the gaps my parents couldn't cover. And more importantly, when I was in youth group, I, I was taught a sense that God is present and, and I could pray 
And so I got so I was never alone. And because of that relationship, I started to find a purpose in my life. If it wasn't for that, I don't know where I would be. That, to me, is the good news. And that's the power that Jesus is talking about. That's what the therefore is all about. And then it gets interesting. I was surprised in my research this week when I dove into this scripture because I, I went in with a preconceived idea of what I thought it said, and I realized it says something much, much different. The spirit of this passage is so different from how it's typically preached and taught. That word go is part of this whole passage, and I think you need to go back to verse 17. And you notice that it says that when they, the disciples, saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Have you, did you notice that little detail? And remember, this is the 11 disciples who have been with Jesus the last three years of his ministry. And they've also witnessed him, the resurrected Lord. He's appeared to them already. And yet, it says they doubted. Now, we're not sure if it if it's to be interpreted that some of them believed and a few of them didn't, or if there was just doubt among all of them, it's hard to know how to interpret that. But either way, the point is there that this is not a perfect bunch. And these are the people that Jesus is going to use to begin to spread the good news. These are the ones who are going to begin that work of making disciples, and yet they have a certain level of doubt. So I hope that you hear that, that if God's calling you as a missionary, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. It's not necessarily a nice, neat little package. And then when you think about that word, go, especially when you begin this verse 19 with go, that evokes certain feelings and images that probably different from how we see ourselves. This passage is probably the one that's inspired more people to leave everything and go off to a foreign land and become a missionary that serves a different culture, a different language. And that is good in many, many ways, but it also brings a certain amount of baggage with it sometimes, at least in our history it has. Sometimes it's been interpreted that the task is about making converts and whatever it takes to make those converts, even if it means conquering that land and imposing Western culture upon it. Sometimes it, it has the baggage of a, that you've got to believe this certain set of beliefs that we believe just like we do. And certainly it's hard for us to hear because very few of us are in a position that we can just take off and go. And it gives us that sense that salvation is some nice, neat little package with a bow on it that we just carry around and hand it to one another. But that's not how this should be interpreted. This word go is not an imperative. It's not a verb in that sense. It's not a command of Jesus. It is a participle, which means it is more like a noun or an adjective. And so it's best translated, therefore, as you go or while you are going. The imperative is, is to make disciples. So we're called to make disciples wherever we are and whatever our situation whatever our place and whomever God has called us toward. That a pair of it is not go, is to make disciples. And that changes how I see those things. It changes for me what a missionary is. 
It's about taking all that life that Jesus lived out and looking at it a different way. As a matter of fact, Mark David, a Presbyterian pastor and author, has suggested that perhaps this really this passage doesn't deserve being called the Great Commission. He says, really, if you think about it, with just this whole passage has one imperative in it, one command. But if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7, there's a whole list of imperatives, one after another. I invite you after church, go home and just read. It won't take you that long, these three chapters. And you'll find in these imperatives where Jesus says, let your light shine before people. Jesus says, your righteousness has to be greater than the religious experts. Jesus said, make things right with your brother or sister before you take your gift to the altar. He even says, if your right eye causes you to sin, then tear it out. Or if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off. He says, don't swear pledges or oaths, but let your word stand on its own. Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He told us not to practice your religion in front of others in order to draw attention. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And he told us to pray like this, and then he shared the Lord's Prayer, which we recite every Sunday. And he told us to stop collecting treasures on earth. He told us not to worry about what we shall eat or drink. He told us not to judge others. Mark David says that's the real Great Commission. That's the content of what it means to make disciples. And so that Great Commission shares a radical vision of a new way of life. The Bruderhof Christian community describes this content in the Sermon on the Mount with these words. Jesus seeks to transform the entirety of our world, including the economic, the social, and all other aspects of life. His commands in the Sermon on the Mount are not theoretical or theological, but quite practical. To forgive unconditionally. To renounce all violence. To stay faithful in lifelong marriage. To live free from wealth. To serve as the least and lowest. To give up all power over others. His teaching is not an impossible ideal, but is truly good news. The news that the despair and death that rule the present age can be overcome through a life lived according to perfect love. Have you got that mastered yet? I know I don't. That's the challenge. And that's what it means to be a missionary, to take that challenge, even though we don't live up to it fully, but to invite others to share and make that attempt in their life as well. Being a missionary is something much more complicated than we've made it out to be. And, and here's the good news. Someone has said that instead of calling this passage the Great Commission, we should call it the Great Affirmation. Because Jesus invited them to go to Galilee. He told them at his last resurrection appearance, meet me in Galilee. And so they go, and they go to a mountain. Mark David has suggested that maybe that mountain's reminiscent 
of the Sermon on the Mount. That the writer of Matthew is trying to tie those two things together to say that making disciples, this is the content, this is what it's about. And it's not easy. It's complicated. Very few of us live up to it, but as we strive to do so, we feel compelled to share that. Because anyone who's experienced the redemptive work of God has to share that forgiveness. And anyone who has experienced that ultimate loneliness and feels that presence of the Holy Spirit reducing that sense of loneliness, anyone who has been lost in life and aimless in where they're going that finds that purpose and direction has to share it. You're compelled to share it. But it's not easy. And that's the promise, the affirmation, because Jesus said, look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. I will be with you. Several years ago, when my divorce became public knowledge in the town of New Albany, I got a phone call. The phone call was from a former youth pastor of another United Methodist church in town who had heard of my divorce. He called me up and he said, Jerry, on Sunday evening, I want to take you to a group I've been going to, a divorce recovery group for the past year. I think you'll find it helpful. Well, I wasn't too sure what I thought about that. I wasn't even divorced yet, officially. I hadn't quite gotten used to the idea of being divorced. But I knew Don Johnson well enough, at least his reputation, that it seemed to me that if he thought it was a good place to be, maybe it was a good place for me. So I said, okay. He picked me up, went to that gathering, and it was pretty intimidating. There was like 60 to 80 people there. Don was really good about introducing me to several different people. He explained how that whole evening would go. It would last 90 minutes. That after this group presentation, we would meet in smaller groups in which you have a chance to claim time to share, but you didn't have to. And then he said, afterwards, if you want to go, if you're okay with that, we'll go get a burger with several people that go afterwards. And so I did it. And Don said, hey, I'll meet up with you this whole next month. Make sure you're okay with things, and which I did, and then after that, I was okay. Well, let me tell you, that group was quite a blessing and an important time in my life. I found it helpful in many ways. Sometimes even there'd be some Sundays like, ah, I don't think I need it today. I feel pretty good. It's been a good week. But I'd go anyway, and someone would share something, and all of a sudden, I'd find myself tearing up, feeling emotion, because I realized it was something I hadn't dealt with yet. I remember one time getting some real practical advice about my taxes. It saved me a couple thousand dollars just going to that one meeting. But the most important blessing was that that was one day a week in which I didn't feel abnormal. It was the one place where others were in the same situation I was in. And if you've been divorced or if you've been widowed, you know how much of a couple's world this world is. And so what a blessing that was. And that experience, I stayed with that group a full year. It was so helpful in me healing through that time and, and helped me see things so that I grew from my experience and prepared me to be in a healthy relationship. Now, where would I have been if Don Johnson hadn't called me up on the phone? What if he hadn't been my missionary? Look what I would have missed out on. 
And that, for me, is why it's important for us to ask that question about what a missionary is and, and to struggle with where our mission field is because there's somebody out there that needs you to be their missionary, to invite, to accept, to love, to affirm. That's what it means to be a missionary, and that's the attitude we need to bring, bring into our ministry. Not that we have all the answers, but like Don, who was a broken person who had found help, he shared that help with me, and that's what God is calling us to. So go find your mission. Go find your place. Go find your purpose, because there's somebody that needs you. Let us pray. Lord, we are thankful that you are still one who calls, that there is the need for missionaries everywhere we go. May we understand that as we go, we're called to make disciples in whatever way, whatever possibility there is. Help us to affirm that ministry in our own lives through your son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen.